The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And then as we sit here, I'll offer you some words for exploring in meditation the topic of the day. topic of the day is effort or energy. And I'd like to separate out two aspects of this. There's the vitality or energy that's available in our body, in our mind, when we endeavor to do something. And then there's the quality of the endeavoring, the quality of the effort that we make when we engage. So as you're sitting here first, you might notice how much, what sense of vitality or energy you have in your system. Do you feel energized? Do you feel tired and drained? Energies sometimes can be like, or vitality can be like a current or in, almost like a force within us that keeps our spine upright, the torso straight. It gives us a sense of aliveness in our body, and our mind. We can be over-energized and be agitated. Restless. or we can be under-energized. And, and in your experience you've had in, in having available energy through your life and through the day, where do you fit on the spectrum right now? Are you energized in a balanced, appropriate way? Are you too energized, too little energized? Where in your body do you feel your most vitality? Is the place of most, where it's most energized in your system, is it mostly physical? Is it mostly emotional? Is it mental?
What is your relationship to your own vitality? Do you feel like you have generally enough energy for what you want to do, or do you feel somehow under-energized and difficult to engage in the activities that you want to engage in? So there's, there's, there's the vitality or energy that's available or not available, the quality of it. But the energy we have can be applied to skillful things, unskillful things, good things, bad things. A thief might have lots of energy for thievery. A caregiver might have lots of energy for being a caregiver. Having energy is kind of a ethically neutral. Depends what it's used for. And then there's also, when we start using our energy and applying it in different ways, there's also the issue of the quality of that effort. So I'll go through some of the list of some of the things that could characterize the quality of effort. See if any of these reveal anything about your effort. And the effort now is to meditate, to be with your breathing, be present. So with what effort do you engage in meditation? Or maybe the reflections will be more broad. For you and you'll Consider just more generally the qualities of your effort in life. Is your efforting eager or more reluctant?
are the efforts you make in meditation characterized by obligation, a should, or more characterized by a delight and a joy. Is there a strain in your effort, tightening, contracting, or is your effort relaxed and soft, open? Does making effort feel more like a burden for you or more like, kind of like play? Recreation or something easy to do? Is there resistance or fear, hesitation, reluctance in somehow connected to making effort? Is their enthusiasm <coughs> a sense of feeling of being feeling fortunate, delighted in the opportunity to make effort?
Is your effort characterized more by trying to make something happen or more by allowing something to happen? And finally, to end this period of reflection, spend a few minutes reflecting or thinking about what is it that you most appreciate, most enjoy, most value about making effort. So welcome to our Dharma practice day. And I see some new faces, seemingly new faces to me. So I'm Gil Fronstahl and this is Inez Friedman. Two of us are offering this, these Dharma practice days. And uh, each day kind of stands on its own, but it's, uh, we meet monthly and for this year we're doing a series uh, focusing on the ten perfections or ten paramis, and these Dharma practice days are days where we, through a variety of different 
meditations, exercises, discussions, um, we explore um, both the theme of the day, the perfection, the quality of character that's important in Buddhism, and also um, uh, find ourselves a little in, find ourselves in community, develop community, and and hopefully some. Um, uh, Dharma relationships, practice relationships with other people in the community here. And so it's part of, partly what goes on here. And um, the ten perfections are these ten qualities of character that uh, are very supportive for doing Buddhist practice. Or say differently, are ten qualities of character that are very supportive for the process of awakening, of liberation, of freedom, and are very important and supportive of the process of compassion and caring for this world and caring for others. And I think it's quite beautiful that these ten qualities support both those. They both support you in the movement towards liberation, freedom, um, and they also support you in being able to be of service to the world and to be helpful to others. And so it's nice that they support both because we would like both to happen. Um, Enlightenment or awakening is sometimes understood to involve a very radical letting go. And um, it's nice to know that that letting go happens in the context of developing these qualities as inner strengths. So you're not supposed to just let go and become a couch potato or a puddle on the floor. You can let go deeply, but uh, in that letting go, what remains is these beautiful qualities, these beautiful strengths that flow through you. And so these are... um, Generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, effort. Uh, um, what's the next one? The patience. And then uh, truthfulness, resolve, and uh, loving kindness and equanimity. So, um, um, beautiful qualities. So, today we're doing effort. And... Um, Effort is a fascinating topic that's never ending because there's never the perfect right effort that if we can just find what that effort is, we'll be set. We don't have to think about it ever anymore. But uh, effort is is a very complex aspect of the human activity. And what the appropriate effort and the appropriate energy uh, changes from moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, activity to activity. And so part of what uh, is involved in living human life is to monitor the effort, monitor the energy, and, and make all these adjustments. Sometimes those adjustments are uh, uh, done almost without any reflection, almost like naturally, unconsciously. As for example, um, if you are hiking, uh, the amount of effort, you, the kind of effort you make when you're hiking on flat ground is different than the kind of effort when you make when you're going uphill. And you slow, most people slow down when they go uphill. And so, without even much thinking about it, they go, or maybe if you're going downhill, maybe you're going quickly. Um, if you um, are helping someone who is sick, then your effort maybe is very slow and careful. If you're helping someone um, who is um, maybe you know, late for, you know, some athletic activity that they're, fe- they're featured in, like, you know, baseball game or something, 
you might, uh, you know, you're not going to do things slowly. And you know, my, my 12-year-old is late for his important game, right? I don't say, well, let's do this slowly and mindfully. Let's tie your shoelace. We have all the time in the world, you know, just... But rather, you know, I'd, I'd speed it up and we'd kind of hurry, maybe run up to the car. And let's, let's, you know, that seems appropriate in that situation, maybe. So, and I wouldn't think about it too much, you know, we're late for the game, let's go. Um, and so, same thing in, in Buddhist practice. Um, there is a degree of monitoring ourselves and, and, and looking at what's the appropriate effort and energy in any, any given time and any given activity. And uh, Zen practice was great for that because it was really clear when you were living in a Zen monastery that your whole life activity, all you do there was part of practice. And there were times when things were done very slowly and carefully and calmly. And times when there was, you were actually taught, you know, what was required was a very vigorous engagement with, with what was doing. So like you'd sit quietly and walk quietly and slowly in meditation hall in the morning. And then they'd have this, after the meditation, they'd have this cleaning period, 15 minutes. And that cleaning period was meant to be done wholeheartedly, that you put your whole self into it, which was often done much more vigorously than Vipassana students do their slow work meditation. Um, and there's something very powerful about learning to kind of do something in a kind of wholehearted and, you know, I don't know if vigorous is the right word, but, you know, you know a good pace and just put yourself completely in it and lose yourself in, almost in the, in the speed or the activity. Um, the, um, so, you know, so what is the right effort in any given time? Um, and so this issue of you know, how much energy is available for effort is an important one. I don't think, it, I, I suspect, my, my working assumption is that in the time of the Buddha, they didn't have as many issues around energy as people in modern America have. They, um, I, I bet that if the Buddha lived in the modern world, uh, he, would have a, he would have had a nine-fold path. <laughs> Not an eight-fold path. And uh, because one of the folds in the path would have been right exercise. Because exercise kind of helps bring some balance, good vitality in the system, which is useful for practice. Uh, the, um, but back then, I don't think they had to do it so much because uh, I think people, you know, like certainly the monastics, but many people, uh, they lived a much more active life than they weren't sitting in front of the computers. They didn't have couches the way we have and television. And, um, and the people didn't, weren't just sedentary. The monastics walked a lot. There was a lot of walking. And uh, walking really is a good conditioning. There weren't cars and things, so so there's a lot of walking. So I think it, I think my guess is back in the ancient world, people were much more fit. I once saw many years ago. I was on the trib- tributary of the Amazon River, and it came across. We were at the edge of this part of uh, of French Guiana that was close to n- n- non-native Americans. We were right at the edge, and so there's whole tribes living there, kind of protected by the French government for to live their more or less their life, the tribal life. We were on the edge and uh, a whole bunch of them came out in their canoes, or actually they were going back in from, on their canoes. They'd come shopping in the, you know, the more civilized part or whatever part, uh, civilized, but, or uncivilized part. <laughs> the uncivilized part. And, um, and so they had you know, supplies and whatever they needed. But, um, and they were basically, you know, you could, you know, they didn't wear much more than a little cloth, you know, little <coughs> miniskirt or something, men and women, and um, 
but they had the most beautiful bodies I've ever seen in my life, all of them. Um, they were certainly fit and strong, but they weren't built up. They weren't like built up, like they weren't like buff at all. <laughs> but they were certainly strong and, and, um, and beautiful and just these beautiful, alert, energized bodies. That, you know, I think it had to do with their lifestyle, the way they lived. And uh, you don't see that much around here. And even when I go to the gym sometimes, I don't see bodies like that. <laughs> Big hulking guys sometimes, it's just, you know, they don't seem so as healthy as. So the point being that I think back in the time of the Buddha, I think people had more, you know, were more familiar with vitality. And so we need right exercise. Um, but then there's also the effort we make. And, uh, and I know that for some people, just hearing the word effort is oppressive. <laughs> you know, and um, because effort means effort, effort means work, and you have to work at this. You know, and work again. I work. I work all the time, and to make work, you know. Now, now, my, tell me, my spiritual practice has to be work too. Um, you know, please, you know, give me a break. And then, as soon as it becomes a work, then or effort, then our notions of self, our self identity, and accomplishment, and you know, and what other people think of us, and success and failure, all come into play around this, the, the idea of effort and work. And it gets very complicated very quickly. One of the, 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 the first question that I asked my Zen teacher, my first Zen teacher, was I was introduced to Zazen, Zen meditation. I really was pulled, attracted by it. And, um, and in a, I think in an innocent way, in a way I was looking for a real answer, <laughs> I asked um, my teacher, uh, what's the right effort for doing zazen, for doing Zen meditation? And um, and uh, I was like 20 or 21. And, you know, I just I thought of you know I don't know I was looking for a an answer. <laughs> and um, and he said to me, he looked at me and he said, "Who's making the effort?" And so that just kind of went right by me. What's you know, <laughs> What? <laughs> you know, so I walked away kind of like, well, that, you know. So many years later, I realized that was a profound answer. <laughs> Who's making the effort? What's the self that you bring with you to, you know, make the effort? And what's that dualism between self and the effort that might exist? But at the time, you know, it was, it was meaningless. I was so spiritually remedial <laughs> or something. And... Um, but uh, so this idea of you know who are you? You make the effort, and what what come what your whole history about work and effort? How does that come into play when you someone says you know make effort in your practice? Um, some people in the West I've noticed among people that I know that the whole idea of effort uh, they're neurotic around it, and there's so much attachment and so much sense of self and so much shoulds and so much looking for success and trying to make something happen and prove themselves and and. Um, and they, you know, and they tie themselves in knots. And many people in the West need to learn not how to make effort, but how not to make effort, and to relax the effort that they make. Uh, and uh, a lot can happen by not making effort when we're wound up. And um, and so powerful teaching for in the West is don't make effort, relax, accept things as they are, allow things to be. And sometimes you find in the heels of that teachings like you're perfect just the way you are. You know, realize your natural perfection. 
For people who feel like completely imperfect and they're neurotically trying to fix and change and defend and do, um, those kinds of teachings can, uh, can help them just relax. And amazing things happen when we relax. They feel much more peaceful. Some of the beautiful qualities of who we are have a chance to come forth. Empathy, compassion, kindness, patience, wisdom. A lot can come forth when we just kind of stop doing so much and kind of clouding our mind and clouding our heart and with you know, all this efforts to do, 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 do. And, um, and for some of these people who are so neurotically, you know, always engaged and trying to prove themselves and do something and get something, uh, sometimes uh, Buddhist teachers do them a disservice by giving them instructions. <laughs> what do you do in meditation? Because, uh, and, um, you know, it's just, just, they just, you know, just does, does so I've, so a few people I've known who just did them in. They just kind of crashed and burned because they brought so many attitudes and striving and pushing and feelings that they're not good enough the way they are. And, and uh, sometimes I've had really good success uh, uh, in meditation and as a teacher telling people um, not to make any effort whatsoever in meditation except the effort to make no effort. And sometimes I have to go further and tell them, don't make any effort, including the effort not to make any effort. <laughs> and um, and so that's worked, for some people it's worked really well, and some people even that doesn't work. The, 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 the strong attachment and holding to effort and trying and making something happen is really, really deeply seated in the psyche. And it's, it's something that has to somehow be, some people has to be dealt with. And then some people make no effort. Some people feel like, you know, they're entitled to spiritual freedom and spiritual states. And, and they think that if they just sit down and close their eyes, it's supposed to be handed to them on a silver platter, you know, enlightenment, freedom, you know. And, and um, I knew someone, a woman who practiced for many years diligently on retreats, or she thought, I thought she was practicing. And, uh, and then after many years, she got bitter and she kind of stopped practicing. She was angry. And she, she told me that uh, she was under the impression if she just put her time on the cushion, uh, put in her time, that she would get enlightened. And, um, you know, it's kind of like Ajahn Sumedho says, if it, just sitting uh, got you enlightened, then uh, chickens would be <laughs> enlightened. You know, it's just not a matter of just sitting. You, just do, you know, sometimes you have to, have to make some effort. And what is that effort? Is it stressful effort? Is it straining? Is it work? I hope not. One of the aspects of effort is, uh, so part of what the, compli- the, 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 the richness of effort is um, effort isn't just the energy you have, but it's what you endeavor to do, or say differently, what you intend. So do you have an intention behind what you're doing, or where you're leaning, where you're heading? So it's one thing um, uh, to make effort to um, um, you know, it's one thing to make effort to just be fully present. It's actually a different thing to be effort to make fully present in order to be more compassionate, to be open to the world in a more compassionate way, or to be fully present in order to become free of what we're atta- our attachments, or to see more clearly. We can have an intention that kind of informs what being fully present is about. And because of that intention, as we're fully present, we'll notice different aspects of our rich human experience. 
if the, uh, the intention is to be more present for this world and be more compassionate, will tend, you know, that's kind of like the radar is set for that. Or if, the ra- if your radar is set on freedom from, it, from clinging, then we'll kind of notice that aspect of our experience. And so what the intention is makes a difference. And there's a beautiful ex- uh, term in, uh, in the early tradition, that of inclining. And it is to, we incline our mind towards liberation, to Nibbana. And I love this term inclining, because inclining doesn't mean straining. It doesn't mean, you know, like in, enlightenment or bust. It's more like if we lean in that direction, then, you know, you'll fall in that direction. <laughs> you know, and uh, so like, you know, if you're out in the, in the sidewalk, and if you're going to fall, then lean into the soft bushes or into the pond or something so you can have, you know, on a hot day. Don't lean into the oncoming traffic on the, off the side, right? That's not any good. So, you know, what do you incline yourself? What are you oriented towards when you practice and you make effort? And um, so that, so, so, and so intention then becomes a, a, an important aspect of what we're trying to do. Uh, some people don't even realize the intention that they're operating under. They might think they're practicing in order to become enlightened, for example, or be free or awakened. But really what they're doing is they're really trying to practice in order to prove themselves to something, to their parents. I know that when I was a new practitioner, um, in the back of my mind was my parents. You know, what do they think about this? You know, and am I, you know, am I gonna, you know, how am I doing? And you know, can, I, you know, can I explain what I'm doing? Can I do well so that I can explain to them? And so at some point I uprooted that kind of concern, but there was there in the background a little bit. So I wasn't just practicing for myself, but I was practicing for other people who were watching or, you know, I thought they were watching or, or something. Or to get a badge or to build up a strong sense of self or to have people like you or, or to prove to yourself that you're a worthy person. Um, you know, there's a lot of extra stuff, that baggage that comes along with making effort that sometimes is quite hidden from ourselves. Um, there can be effort to uh, a fear. Some people are, have a lot of fear and feel like the world is a dangerous place or, and so they have practice in order to make themselves safe. It's a fine, thing, a fine intention, but it could also, if, it's too, if we're too locked into that, then uh, that interferes with the effort, with the endeavor. Some people feel like, you know, the word effort implies a lot of work until they hear that... Um, uh, children who play games in the playground are expending a tremendous amount of energy and effort. It, you know, much more. You know, they, they've had an astronaut who was supposed to be really fit follow, I don't know, what, like a four-year-old or five-year-old and do all the same things that the five-year-old was doing. And the poor astronaut got completely exhausted <laughs> very quickly. And the kid was just keep, kept going. And, it, and the uh, kids expend a tremendous amount of energy and effort but it's kind of enjoyable. So probably for you also, there's things that you do that, um, you know, like what a drag, and it's like you have to push yourself to do it. And, uh, and other things you do that, you know, you don't even, you know, you, just don't even, you forget time and just, just like play. So when you engage in spiritual practice, is it more like work or more like play, the effort you make? Or what are the associations you have with it? Are you associated more with work and obligation? I should. If you're going to be a good person, you should engage, you should eat your vitamins, and you should meditate every day. 
Is that kind of the attitude? Or is it more like, uh, lucky me, I get to sit down to meditate, but this is better than the playground. <laughs> this is like spiritual Disneyland, or this is like, you know, you know wow, this is fun. And how, what's the attitude that goes with it? Um, there is no Buddhist practice without effort. But what the quality of that effort is, the nature of the effort, is the big koan, is the big kind of exploration. And it's constantly being adjusted and explored and discovered. And so being sensitive to effort is one of the important aspects of this practice. And being able to apply oneself in a useful way with effort um, is really an important, very necessary part of this practice. So this is not this practice is not for couch potatoes. It's not for what's called nightstand Buddhists. You know, just, you know, you read a book and feel inspired. It really this practice really requires some engagement on your part. And then if you hear read Buddha, you know, your nightstand Buddhists, you read these beautiful books that say, you know, that you're perfect just the way you are. Just realize you're inherent Buddha nature, and everything is fine. Um, and you don't do anything whatsoever, that sounds inspiring and meaningful, then that Buddha nature is not going to really be expressed or be discovered. There has to be something, some engagement. Some, we have to do something different than business as usual. And what is that difference? When you first encounter Buddhism, Buddhist practice, what is a different? What is a different way of endeavoring? What's a different? way of engaging or doing that is different than business as usual, that the way you were. And then how do you make, you know, what is that difference? And how do you engage in it? What do you do? That all has to do with the effort factor of practice. Um, it's a really a rich area of exploration. And it's, uh, and, um, and the last thing I'll say, there's no right effort I mean, I mean, there's no finally right effort, like perfectly, you know, this is it. Rather, what is right effort varies and changes over time. And sometimes it, what's required is heroic effort, persistence, courage. Um, the word, one of the words for, for energy in Buddhism is virya, usually translated as energy or effort, but it comes from the root word hero. To be a heroic effort is required sometimes. And... Um, and sometimes uh, what's required is effortless effort, a really beautiful quality. And so how do we discover, how do we know which is required at different times and how not to have a policy? I've known people who've had policies that, you know, only effortless effort is really Buddhism. You know, it's whatever effort's helpful for you. And uh, people, you know, if, you're, if a person has some really difficult attachments, like, you know, they have an addiction to certain things, um, or really deep-seated fears. It might make, you know, to really face it, might take a tremendous amount of courage. So much so, you may break out, break out in a sweat, you know, and, and uh, so you don't bolt or something. And that's the right effort then. And other times, the effort is completely, like, no effort at all, just kind of like, 
effortless effort. It's like you're not involved in all in the effort. Effort is happening, but you're not part of it. I said that was the last thing, but maybe I'll say this also. As maybe some of you know, I'm very fond of this analogy of if you have two parallel lines, they say that two parallel lines will never meet. They just go on and on forever. And, um, but if you nudge the lines slightly apart, maybe so little that you can't even see at first, but you nudge them apart slightly so they're at an angle to each other, then slowly over time they get further and further apart. As you go further up, up you know, this endless parallel lines or endless lines. And at some point, the distance becomes really big. What was required initially was just a little nudge to eventually make a huge difference. Sometimes uh, effort, little effort, at a changing direction of your life today might not seem very significant today or tomorrow, but in five years, it can be monumental and uh, make a huge difference. Five years from today might seem really far in the future. Why should you be concerned about so far in the future? But five years in the past was just yesterday. At some point, in five years from today, today will have seemed like yesterday, like no time at all. So just a little difference in, in keeping at it, keeping at it, persistence is really a good thing. So, um, Um, I think that's enough for now, and uh, I could go on and on all day, <laughs> because uh, because I spent a lot of years. You know, one way of one one perspective on Buddhist practice is that it's an ongoing exploration of the appropriate effort, and so all of us spend a lot of time kind of exploring, discovering, and we uh, part of one of the ways that we learn what's appropriate effort. Maybe one of the only ways we learn is by doing it wrong. Isn't that nice? <laughs> you know, that was too much effort. Let me come back to, towards the middle. Oops, I went too far. That's not enough effort. I need to apply a little bit more here. And so we swing. It's kind of like driving down the freeway. Most cars don't stay straight. On the, they more or less straight, conventionally straight, but they're constantly swaying slightly, right, within your lane, a little bit, and you're constantly making little corrections. And good driving means just you kind of track that and just keep it going. It's the same thing, you know. Sometimes, our, hopefully, we don't swing into other people's lanes when we practice, but there's always little adjustments to make. So, um, what I thought we would do now is uh, take a break um, and to do that in silence. And then we'll come back and do um, another couple of meditations. I thought of keeping the morning kind of quiet, except for all the talking I do. And um, so um, let's take a 15-minute break and um, in silence, and then we'll come back for a meditation.